We are trained from birth to think of readiness for something being based on our age, our experience, and our education. We're trained to think you learn how to do something and then you do something. When you're young, you're little and you'll figure it out later. And then when you get older, you'll be capable. When you're unschooled and untrained, you need to get education in order to be able to do things. This is the world's model. I'm not saying it's false, but I'm saying it's what we are taught. If you want to excel at something, you grow a little bit older, get a little bit more experience, and you get trained. Age, experience, and education. I think those three things kind of sum up the world's approach to ready. When will you be ready? You know, we'll be ready for college if we do well in high school. So do good in high school. You've got to be ready for college. You have to be old enough. You have to be trained enough. You'll do well in the workforce if you do well in college. So take that time, learn those classes, get older, gain experience, gain education, and then you'll be ready for that. You'll do well in marriage if you do well in dating. You'll be ready if you do well in dating because as you age through that and grow and experience and learn the lessons of dating, they'll prepare you for marriage. So marriage is easy then for all of us because we dated? How's that going for us? College was easy just because we went to high school. The workforce was easy. We felt ready, completely ready the first day at college because we had done this prep work. We felt ready on our wedding day for a life together just because we'd gone on dates with people before. It's sort of a weird premise when you apply it to actual real life situations. Um, I'd like to invite us to think that God has a different definition for ready. It's just an entirely different definition. And it's now. When does God think you're ready to take a step of faith? Now. When does God think you'll be ready to heal someone, lay hands on them? Now. When do you think God thinks you'll be ready to speak on his behalf? Now. God's definition of ready is radically different than what the world gives us because the world is trying to help us be ready but haven't we realized by now there's no way to actually be ready for life? It doesn't work that way. You plan and prep all this stuff and then something else happens to you. You can't actually be ready just by age. The older you are is not necessarily the wiser you are. And the more education you have is not necessarily the more successful you are in your job. These things are good, right? I'm not putting them down as bad. I just don't think that they're the definition that God gives us. Take, for example, the musicians that joined us this morning, right? What if we told them there was an age requirement, an experience requirement, and an education requirement? What if that was said to you, Devin, when you started, or me, or you, Mickey? None of us would ever be doing it because none of us were age-appropriate. We're, we're old enough. None of us were experienced. You get it by doing it, right? Do they need to be perfect before they play music? Were all of you severely offended this morning as we worshipped? <laughs> I probably made more mistakes than anybody else did. Were you all offended? Did anybody walk out? Oh, disgusting. In, in fact, I bet the opposite is true. I bet it was a joy producer for you to see people that have never played just play together. And you weren't looking for the problems in it. You were seeing joy in it. And as a result of us all being willing to do something now for God that we weren't experienced, educated, or ready for, 
we just felt like it's good and I want to serve God in this way. We all get joy from that. We get new life from that. Worship happened because all of us felt like the definition of already was now. Right? Joy happened. And don't you think then for those that took that step of faith, it'll mean something for them to say, wow, I, I did that. Isn't that a confidence producer to have done something once and say that it, it happened, it worked? And, and wasn't that a different way for them to step into worship, a different experience with God and a different capacity as a leader? So didn't they grow in their faith this first time? Didn't we grow in worship and joy this time? Because we adopted that mentality. It's a perfect case study for what I want us to think about in the scripture we're going to read. I don't think God just wants everyone to be old enough, educated enough, and experienced enough before he's ready to use us. It's not his definition. And here's why. Because God wants the glory from your life. He doesn't want you to get the glory. It's not for you. It's not about you. God wants to get the glory from your life. He wants to get the glory from your life and my life. And if we are perfectly educated, fully experienced, and practiced through all many years, who gets the credit for that? We do. You earned it. That's what everybody without God thinks. I earned this. I learned this. I worked hard to get where I'm at. So if we're going to take all the credit from God for the things that we do because we feel ready, then actually I think God's not as happy with that. <laughs> he would rather take the small, the insignificant, the untrained, the inexperienced, the David with the slingshot, the Jewish people, the smallest among all the nations, the least tribe of the smallest nation, baby born in the manger of the least tribe of the smallest nation because then God gets the glory. It's not Jesus was born into a palace and because he was born into privilege and had all these things working for him, look what he was able to achieve. Jesus would not be a savior in the same sense if he just earned everything that he did. He's a savior in the sense that it didn't make sense. It would have to be a God thing for Mary to be born. No, for Jesus to be born to a, an unwed woman who had never had sex before. A virgin. That has to be a God thing. And because of that, that's the story that we like to tell. Because it doesn't make sense and God gets glory. So let's be careful with our definition of readiness. We might actually be looking for a little more security that God wants to give us. He's okay with walking on water. And we might also be robbing God of glory. Don't do that. Be willing to step out when God says now and not take the glory from him. So when will you be ready to lead your next door neighbor to Christ and baptize them in your pool in your backyard? Now. You don't need more discipleship classes. You don't need more Sunday services. You don't need a, an evangelism campaign or training. You know Jesus. Your next door neighbor needs to know Jesus. You're going to heaven to enjoy him forever. Your next door neighbor needs to make it to heaven to enjoy him forever. So when will you be ready for that? Now, when will you be ready to do some sort of community outreach or lead a missional group to go and help out in some capacity? Now, you don't need more than you have to start. When will you be ready? We are ready to follow God now. You are ready to teach people from the Bible because you know something in it. You don't have to know everything in it. You know something, so you're ready to teach that. So find someone who doesn't yet know that and teach them. 
you're ready. You're ready. We are ready in so many ways that we don't think that we don't think we are. So you might say, "There's still so much I don't know about the Bible. Like I, I don't, I don't, I don't feel qualified to talk about my faith or to lead a Bible study. I wouldn't." That's true of every person on earth. There's so much they don't know about the Bible. Pick your favorite preacher, your favorite theologian, the smartest person. There's so much they don't know about the Bible. So what are we going to wait till we know it all? You're never gonna. So nothing's going to happen. So that's not the goal. Fine, there's so much you don't know about the Bible. It's okay. You know something. We know something. We're required to use what we have so far. You might say, I'm still struggling with my addictions and all my bad habits. How could I lead someone to God? So you're waiting to become perfect before you lead someone else to God who can help them? Is God not helping you through the hardest, deepest, darkest? Well, then can't you turn to someone else and say, turn to him. He can help. I'm not finished yet. You're not finished yet. That's okay. We're not waiting to be finished. We're trying to start. You're ready to lead someone, even if we are still struggling, because struggling is part of what they will experience as well. And if they look at you as having it all together and they can't relate, they'll say, I'll never be ready. And then we're passing on the wrong model of readiness. You might say, I'm not a leader. I'm, I'm not outgoing. I can't initiate or do things like that. But God's the leader. You're not supposed to be the leader. God's the leader. So you're supposed to follow whatever God tells you to do. In that case, it's not up to you. It's just listening. Okay, God, what would you like me to do? And then he leads in that direction. I'm not supposed to be giving God ideas. He doesn't need any good ideas. We're supposed to be listening. And then we go. And if he's leading, then just follow. So it may look to the people around you like you're stepping out and starting something new. Like the center, maybe. We're, we're not starting anything. We're trying to like catch on to God's coattails and let him pull us in the direction he's already going. He's leading. We're just trying to be good followers. And our road will be determined by how well we follow, not how well we lead. God doesn't need our ideas. He needs our obedience. You might say, well, I'm just a new Christian. You know, I've only gone to church for a little while. I'm not ready. Think about every disciple that Jesus picked. None of them were ready. And the same day that he said, follow me, they left their nets, they left their tax. That day they were with him doing stuff. Day one. Day one. So maybe they couldn't yet teach, but they served. Maybe they didn't know how to have enough faith to pray for multiplying loaves and fishes. But then he told them, well, let's pray over this. And then they watched it happen. Right? They, they were doing from day one. So Jesus' definition of readiness for all his disciples was now. Peter, Andrew, James, John, now. And they just said, okay. And then they learned as they went. And so we kind of put it in the other order too often. And it slows us down in our growing in our faith. And so I'm inviting you to just reorient the way we think about readiness. Not that we won't learn for the rest of our lives and grow and then we've got a long way to go, sure. But if we're waiting to get there before we think we're ready, I think God wants to push us this morning. And that's why we're going to read from Hebrews chapter 5. You can turn there if you want. We're going to read verses 11 through the beginning of 6.3. It's like five or six verses, a short passage. I would like to read it because I think it's a verse that we particularly need to hear as a church, New Hope Christian Chapel, our church family. Hebrews 5.11 is where we'll start. But I think it's also a verse and a passage that applies to America at large. This is a... You know, it's hard to talk globally because I don't have experience in other cultures, but I, I've lived and grown up here in America. I can see what we're like. And so I feel like this fits so perfectly into where the church in America is at. 
that I wish we would all think about this more. Instead of thinking about this being for someone else, I wish we would put this on our fridge. So let me read it for us, and you'll see exactly why this is the passage for this message this morning. Hebrews 5.11. This writer says to the church at the time, About these things, he's been preaching, about all these things we have much to say, but it is hard to explain to you because you've become dull of hearing. It's like you're tuning out. We're trying to explain it, but it's too complicated. You're getting fuzzy. Focus. Verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers... So these are Christians that have been Christians for a little while. I don't know. By this time, the writer thinks, you ought to be teaching other people. You actually still need someone to teach to you again just the basics. The basic principles of the oracles of God. I personally love that phrase too. I think it's the only place it appears in scripture. But like the oracles of God. As if God is this all-knowing speaker of truth in mysterious ways and the riddles and truths of God that if he gives us a mind to understand, we can see more fully. Like, it's, it's cooler to me somehow than just like the thoughts of God. It's the oracles of God. It carries that weight in this meaning. I encourage you to meditate on the truth scripture, right? The words of God, the Holy Spirit, the, the oracles of God. But this writer says, you still need milk. Not solid food. Everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. He's just still, we could say, still just a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. There's your definition of spiritual maturity. Solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So therefore, let us leave behind all the basics, the elementary doctrines of Christ, and let's move on to maturity, not having to go back and lay again the same old foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, the same foundation of instructions about washings and the laying on of hands, the same foundation about the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this, this progress, this we will do if God permits. He's laying out the basics. He's saying, let's leave them behind. Not because we're discarding them. You don't abandon the basics. You build on them. They become indispensable, but... What if every sermon every week was simply, let's just read John 3.16, and then I sit down. No application, no further message. It's the truth of the gospel. But maturity is adding on the good foundation more and more, digging into the knowledge of God. He's limitless. We go deeper. We expand. We have our eyes open. I never realized that about his beauty, about his power, about his forgiveness, about his justice. And we grow in our concept of him. And so this writer here, the writer of Hebrews, says... I would love for us to go deeper, but you're like slowing down in your faith and you're just going back to the beginning again and again. We want you to go further. But you notice he doesn't say that further is more learning. Further is constant practice of what we've already learned. The gospel is simple, but if we make it our life to just keep learning the gospel, we're not actually becoming mature by using it. He calls these people unskilled in the word of righteousness. That's a fantastic like merging of doing and thinking. It's skill in the word. 
unskilled in the word of righteousness, right living. And by constant practice, we've distinguished good from evil. We've known God and our powers of understanding and discernment and wisdom. They're expanding. So many of us in America get stuck in a rut. And we just end up learning the same things over and over again. And we wonder, why am I not growing spiritually? Because it isn't just more knowledge that we need to get there. It's this application, the practice of living out the gospel that leads us to greater growth. Recognize here which order things go. You have become dull to understand because you did not mature. So which comes first, maturity or understanding? Maturity. You cannot understand because you are not yet mature. But we oftentimes do this with it and say, when I understand more, it will help me be more mature. That's just fascinating to me. God doesn't define spiritual maturity as merely learning more things. God defines spiritual maturity as godly application of the gospel. Constant practice distinguishing God's will. Maturity is gained by training, by practice. The reason that maturity is application, those are, that's the way the Bible defines spiritual maturity, is how good we have become, how skilled we become in applying the gospel to situations, is because this is actually how we learn as people. Right? We learn by doing. It's very easy to understand a concept. We talk about it. Okay, we got it. Head knowledge, check. But it's very tricky to put it into practice because when we do, we find our own weaknesses, our own limitations. So I tried to put forgiveness into practice and <clears throat> that hit a big roadblock. It's very specific to us and to others. But this is how we learn by doing things. But when we put things into practice, we experience the power of God. Besides our own limits, we, we experience the complexity of sin. It's very tricky to be in this world. It's very confusing. Sin is complex, but the gospel is greater. And it's more complex, and it is the answer. But if we're just waiting to learn enough, then um, we will not actually be spiritually mature. We will be spiritually informed, but not spiritually mature. Maturity is gained by applying God's word in these real life situations, which is why Jesus was ready to put his disciples right to work, immediately doing his will, because he knew that the quickest way to move from information to maturity was by living out the gospel with him. That's why Jesus put his disciples to work immediately, because the quickest path from information to maturity is living out the work of God with Jesus. And so, if this morning we were going to be just talking about spiritual readiness and practice, um, then we would be doing what I'm saying we shouldn't. And so, I would like to actually ask us to do something right now to put this all into practice. It's a little moment. It's a little exercise. Uh, I would like to ask, with as much authority as you're willing to, to lend me in this moment that every single person in this room do this with me so that we can learn from this moment together. I'd like everyone to take out their cell phones and I'll explain what we're going to do with them. But would you please take out your cell phone? We're going to text. Everyone is going to pick one person to text. I would like you to think of someone in your life that is not saved, but someone who you've had some sort of spiritual conversation with. 
who's shown some sort of openness to faith. There's a little bit of an open door there. Maybe they've never come to church. Maybe they've never gone too far. But someone in your life who you wish would know that God loves them. And I want you to send. We're all going to send the same text. I'm not asking for creative writing here. This is a very simple thing. I would like you all to text this. God loves you. I am praying for you. And if you ever want to pray together, like let's do it. Something about God is love. I want you to know that. I'm praying because we're going to pray for these people before we click send. Some are, are typing slower, some have tiny screens and big thumbs, and so, so be it. Um, but I would like to say a prayer now, and I'd like you to quietly pray for the person that you're about to send this to, kind of like in conjunction, we'll all pray. And then when I'm done with the prayer, we'll all click send together, and we'll send out a bunch of gospel messages all at once. Father God, we know that you have called us to be in this place this morning. I believe from the prayer times with you and me this week that you have told me that the people that you will put on our hearts are actually specifically the people that need these texts today. And I believe that these conversations, uh, very small invitations, uh, will be blessed by you and they will result in further conversations. So I pray for each person wherever they are, if it's a stressful moment that they're receiving this, if they're just waking up, if they're enjoying their day to the fullest, I pray that you would allow them to be receptive, that they would hear not just us and this, this friend of theirs, but that they would hear your love coming through. And I pray that these texts would bear fruit for you and for your glory. May they feel loved and may we have opportunities to love uh, these exact folks in the days ahead. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Click send. And then silence your phones, because people are probably going to be texting you back right away, but we don't need to hear that this morning. Uh, let's just reflect for a minute on what we just did. Right? A minute ago, we were talking about reaching out and doing, and then when it became real, like, do, it's like, oh, we have to do something with this? It like engages a different part of your brain. And then immediately you start thinking, do I, do I know someone? Like, who do I, is this someone? Like, and then you think, oh, well, if I don't even know of anybody that's not a Christian that I'm witnessing to, that probably should be quicker to our minds. So for those of us that weren't sure, that's an encouragement to be looking for the neighbors, for the whomever, because we need the people that we're praying for at all times. You should have a small handful of people that are like in your heart and in your prayer times. They're just your people that God's given to you to love. So if you couldn't think of anyone, make that your initial challenge. You should have those people on the tip of your tongue. At any time you're talking, yeah, here's the three people. Here's the situation. I love them. I'm trying to serve them. Okay. The other part of it is maybe you don't want to put yourself out there. So maybe some of us didn't text because we don't, it's awkward, right? Did you feel that reservation? Maybe you did. Okay. Well, then that is living it out, showing us our own insecurity. Great. See it for what it is. Be like, wow, I'm still insecure about that. God, help me on that. Maybe some of us wanted to look good because I asked everybody to do it. So maybe you sent the text to yourself just to make it look like you were doing something that you're supposed to. And if that's anybody here in the room, that's fine. I get it. It's hard to not do what you're supposed to. And if you did that, take that as your challenge. There's so many different things we could learn. But if I'm trying to preach a sermon, how can I think of what your response will be? All I can say is love someone. 
But it's actually in going and doing it that we learn what our love level is, what our courage level is, who the people are that we're trying to love. So it's a simple little exercise, but I really feel like you can learn a lot from it about yourself. You can learn a lot from it about who you're loving towards Jesus. So for whatever it's worth, those couple of minutes together, I pray that those will bear fruit. I think they will. God's just given me a lot of confidence in that this week. I have faith that many of those will be responded to. Please don't do nothing with the response because you ended with a question. So when you get a response, say, great, let's pray sometime. Turn that into something. There is another step beyond just God loves you and we want to grow in that way. So you see how information is one thing. But maturity is gained by wrestling with who we really are and how to do it. How do we say something like that? Maybe this person that just got that text from me has never gotten a text quite like that from you. Okay. You're gaining experience, which shows you how to be a witness in the world. Maybe next time it will be easier or will come to mind differently. Or you'll just say, oh, I know what that feels like. All right, there's a couple of objections that came to my mind this week that I want to address before we read one more case study that's in Scripture and, um, and really kind of take it deeper. There's several layers that we can go deeper on this, but um, the objection came to my mind that if I profess to us, preach to us this morning, that we're all ready. You're just ready. You're ready now. Wouldn't that result in like a bunch of Christians running around making a mess of everything? Like a bunch of kids just like running around doing whatever they want and like spilling paint on the floor and like spilling the Cheerios. Like if you're ready now. You're ready now to do this ministry. You're ready now. Wouldn't that result in like bad teaching? You'll try to teach someone that you got no business teaching and they ask questions you got no business answering and it's just give them a bad answer and that's it. They're going to hell. Like won't, won't that happen? I feel like it's a fair response but it's not one that I want to stop us. Should we just run around saying whatever we want because Pastor Dave said, you're ready, so now you know everything and can do everything? I hope not. I hope we have a little more maturity than that to recognize that can't be right, but how do we respond to that? Pastor Dave said, I'm ready, so I want to start this ministry. I want to start this outreach. I want to join the music team. I want to preach a sermon. I want to baptize someone. I'm like, are you sure you're ready for that? Well, the five responses that I came up with to that this week is first, this is actually how we learn. Kids learn by doing things under the supervision of a parent. A child cannot train themselves to use the English language until the parent or the teacher, thank you teachers for working hard at this, teach them how. So if we're all just going to run around doing whatever we want, thinking we've got the best new ideas on the planet and have no supervision, we'll be spilling the Cheerios more often than not. So find someone to be accountability. Find a pastor, an elder, someone who you know is spiritually mature in the faith, someone who's in a similar type of ministry, and say, how did you do this? And share your ideas. Children learn under supervision. And so the running around doing whatever we want is not a blank check to just say, my will is God's will, and whatever I want to do, I just felt like it, and it must be what God wants. Someone who's walked the road further than you will be able to spot moments and say, I think that was you, not God in that moment. And it's okay, but let's learn the difference between that feeling. So I think supervision, oversight, and not in a like controlling way, but just in a guiding way, like, whoop, steer left, watch out for that, is essential. Second thing, um, the young, both physically and spiritually, they're the ones with all the energy. The youth have all the energy, and new Christians have so much energy, spiritual vitality. 
that if we say, what if we run around all going crazy and everything goes wrong? I say, well, if we wait until we're old enough and mature enough, we won't have that same zeal. And we need zeal in Christ's church. Some people are zealous by nature, but more often than not, over time, things kind of like settle into a comfortable routine. We need, and the world needs, passionate Christians loving in passionate ways with zeal and energy and love and joy. And so we have to be careful not to quench that zeal by saying, well, make sure you, we get you trained up good before we let you loose on the world. It's just not Jesus' model, and we need that zeal. So for us, maybe we can pray that God rekindles some of our zeal if we've been in the faith for a long time and it feels rut-ish. But when you see someone who's young in the faith, find ways to like engage them because the world needs that now. Not the tempered, mature version of what they will be many years. They need both. But the world needs the zeal of the Lord. And new believers have that. And children have that in spades. They don't even know they have that. Let's not quench that spirit. Third response to the running rampant all over the world is that the Bible is the cure for heresy. Not just the local church. So when you get baby Christians out there, get them into the Word. The Bible will fix the bad theology as long as we're reading the Bible, especially with oversight. So it doesn't have to be that we make sure nothing goes wrong. It has to be the people we're sending out are equipped, and that is the Word of God. That's you know Bible training and discipleship classes. The, the reason for Sunday sermons and for small groups is so that we can avoid all the pitfalls, avoid all the heresies. We don't want to see Jesus one day and have him be like, Dude, if you just read the book of Hebrews, that would have solved 10% of all of your life's problems. You didn't get that? Like, oh, no, I never really dug into the word enough. I didn't know. So it's like there's the elementary teachings, and then there's a step even before that, just ignorance. <laughs> get our people to elementary teachings and get them into the word, and the word will be the teacher. It'll be the corrective agent. We need to be corrected by the word. Pastors and elders are not above scripture. Scripture is above us. So, like, scripture, tune me. I'm a little out of key here. Like, tune me into your tuning so that I can be on straight, the straight and narrow path. All right, the last two. Fourth, we need to teach faith skills. Skills in having faith, skills in using faith. Faith skills, not just Bible skills. And so it's possible to learn a lot and have very good theology, but have no experience in using faith. This, like, belief that you can do an impossible thing because God's behind it, or that God's telling you to do something impossible and you feel like reluctant, or that you don't know how something's going to work out, but you're willing. Like That faith element is what we actually live in. But it doesn't take faith to just read the words on the page. It takes faith to live them out. And so I want people living out faith so that it's uncertain. And we don't know how it's going to turn out. But in that faith place, we're growing, and that's maturity, the practical application of God's word to the real world. And the last thing, this is the biggest of them all, saved it for the end. We're not supposed to run around doing whatever we want. We're supposed to run around doing whatever God wants. So the key to it all is just, I really feel confident that God wants me to witness to this neighbor, to say this prayer, to, and if God wants it, run after it like a crazy little kid. Just run after it. And if it's not, allow God to steer you. Have that supervision. Look into Scripture. We grow and we go, but go. By all means, let us not just keep laying the same foundation. Let's build on it. Let's get some walls up. Let's get a roof on this faith of ours. Let's put the electric in. Let's put a patio in the back and party with all of our Christian friends. Let's, let's live this out. 
It's not just foundation work. We're trying to build this temple for the Lord. But it has to be His will. So here's the case study. I'd like you to turn to it. It's very short. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And you'll see it reinforces the things we've already been talking about. And then we'll, we'll take a minute to, to go to communion. Maybe, music team, if you want to come up and just get set up while I'm reading this last scripture. Um, yeah, let me just read it for us. 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 7. This is Paul now speaking, and he uses the same concept of spiritual immaturity and maturity. So we're learning what this means because we want to be mature. So here's what he writes to the church in Corinth. I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as mere infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you're still not ready for it, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving in only a human way? It's like their bar was really... Low, They just knew these basics, but there's still things like jealousy. We know conceptually we should not be jealous. You know, do not envy, do not covet. That's one of the Ten Commandments. We, We know these things, but it was still happening there. So he's saying, so basically you're still acting like humans. Even though the Spirit of God has been given to you, you should be spiritual kind of people. I guess we're just dealing with the basics. Well, we'll stay there. He said, I couldn't go beyond it. So he taught what they needed to hear, but he wants more from them. Than that. Oh, that's one of the texts coming in. Make sure you respond to that later. Not now, later. Um, yeah, uh, but listen to the example he says. For when one of you says, I follow Paul, but another says, I follow Apollos, are you not merely being human? So these are their favorite preachers. I love John MacArthur. I love J.I. Packer. Like, they're favorites, right? They, they're competing here. Um, when you say that, aren't you merely being human? Who's Apollos? What's a Paul? They are just servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned. He like match made the right preacher with the right people. He assigned to each. So Paul says, I planted some of God's words, some truth. I taught. And then Apollos watered. He came in with more truth and he taught. Um, But God did the work. God grew their faith. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth. So you see, they, they, were, they were going to church a lot, they were learning a lot, but in the end they were just fighting over who their favorite preacher was instead of actually learning the message that the preacher was trying to get across. And they were staying on this human level instead of living as spiritual people. So it wasn't about learning. He says, you were infants not because you didn't learn. They had favorite preachers. They probably learned a lot, enough so that they could debate. Yeah, well, Paul says this and Apollo says this. They were talking, but there was still jealousy and other really... Sneaky things that get in there. You say, well, why were they jealous? Any of us ever jealous? Anybody jealous just this past week of something that someone else had? Something you wished you had? Something that you don't have that would be so great if you did? Something, place you want to be that you can't get, right? It's easy to talk about it, but the minute rubber meets the road, it's like, ooh, that's the road to maturity. So I desire nothing less than all of us would be spiritually mature. But I don't believe that's going to come through learning things that make us mature. I think it's going to come through us living out things that we already know that open our eyes. And then we'll be like, give me more. Give me more. And then we'll, we'll find more. And then we'll grow in that. And then give me more. Give Because we'll be hungering for what's next. I guarantee you some of those texts you get back are going to be hard to respond to. You won't know exactly what to say. Someone who's not a believer is going to respond to your 
invitation to faith, and they're going to say something that's like a question you don't know how to answer, or put you on a spot in a way that you're not comfortable answering. Like, what do I do? Well, guess who's learning right then? <laughs> you. You're learning right then. That's the learning. That's the doing. That's maturity. You are maturing on the spot. You are outgrowing your shoes, your spiritual shoes, as that moment happens. And I can't wait for that in all sorts of areas in our lives. I hope the center gives us opportunity for that. I hope these texts give us that opportunity. I hope this sermon this week prompts us to be like, all right, well, what do I know that I can do? I guarantee you will mature. And then we won't have this feeling like faith is just the same old thing every week. Ah, uh, yeah, I already know that. I've been to enough church sermons. I don't need to hear anymore. Like, it's constantly challenging. And you're like, someone give me some scripture. Someone give me some prayer. I'm out of my depth. This thing is big. You're like, oh, you're learning some faith skills. Excellent. And this is how Jesus did it. And this is what I want to challenge us to do. Already by this time, we should be teachers. We really should, New Hope. I've grown up under great preaching for many years that comes from the Word of God. I've tried to give us the Word of God every sermon when I preach. So it's plenty of time for us to be ready to teach others. You don't need more years at New Hope to be ready. What you need is courage to step into the next space. And then I promise you, God will flood you with all the resources you need. He'll respond, and uh, you will not sink on that water. You will walk on that water.